just to kind of recap here, I may have written too small. I don't Can you see this? Okay, great. All right. You guys were far away. So just kind of simplifying here the way uh, the book is put together. Chapter 39 ends with this clear pointer to the Babylonians coming and taking out Jerusalem and the temple. Um, and in the shape of the book, that is one of the key points for which Isaiah, who announced judgment and salvation, the, the events of Babylon and the whole storyline of the Bible, the Babylonians coming and destroying Jerusalem and the temple and burning it all to the ground, that's seen as kind of the key act of divine judgment on Israel's sin uh, and faithlessness. And so, Isaiah was super clear in the kaleidoscope of imagery that the judgment was purifying and meant to be redemptive so that the remnant and the Messiah and all this would come out the other side. And so 40 comes just swaying right out of the gate, just, just uh, coming at us that the time of judgment, we're going to read through 40, the time of judgment has come and gone, now is the era of, of salvation. And so that's the language. So essentially what's happening, you have on your handouts, um, I would say as chapter 39 ends, this is, uh, sorry, the, on the second page on Isaiah 36 to 39, <clears throat> the big questions on our minds uh, are about who's talking to us, the, super, the introduction to the book said Isaiah's ministry ended with Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, seemed his end of his life is indicated here. So who's talking to us? And then all the, our questions about salvation. So the Messiah never came in this time period of Israel's history. The Spirit was never poured out, the new creation and so on. So all of that must still be yet to come. When's it going to come? Um, what role does Babylon and the kingdoms coming after, what role do they play in the unfolding of this whole, of this whole story? So those are all the questions on our mind as we uh, open up to, to chapter 40. And Isaiah 40 is one of these key, key passages, sort of like Isaiah 6. Although Isaiah 40 is probably one of the most quoted uh, and alluded to passages in the New Testament. Just everybody... In the New Testament, Jesus himself really keyed in on what's happening in Isaiah 40 to understand himself and what he was doing and so on. So we're just going to dive into Isaiah 40 and see what happens. Shall we? All right, let's go for it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. All right. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak Tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Let's just stop and make an observation here. Um, I'll suppose it. Who's, who's talking to us here? That is one question. We, we can at least kind of rule it out. Who's for sure not talking here? Yeah, God, God, because God is referred to in the third person. So the first line is, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So really, that first line, comfort, comfort my people, 
should be in quote marks. And that's God speaking. Here is God's new commission. Now that judgment has passed and salvation has come, here is God's new commission. Not judgment anymore, but comfort. And then here's what uh, someone's being heralded to, to make a new pronouncement here. Speak tenderly and so on that announce that the time of judgment has passed. Okay, the little curtain closes there. A new voice starts speaking here. A voice of someone is calling. In the desert, prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. So that's a theme you may recall from earlier in Isaiah, that all the high things will be made low. The rough ground will become level. The rugged places will become a plain. So, so let's just pause real quick here. So the key thing is, is the, we're talking about the desert and mountains and valleys, and they're being made low and leveled and filled up. What are we describing here? The building of, the key is in verse 3. What are we building? A road. A road. A highway. So I don't know what you think of when, uh, if you've ever seen a road being built, but you have to fill in the valleys, <laughs> and you have to cut down the hills to make a smooth road. So I don't know if you've ever driven the 26 to the coast, Highway 26, or 26 out to the mountain. And you, there's been a lot of dynamite at work there, right? To make that road level. So filling in holes and taking down hills. That's, being, that's what's being described here. So the image is that Jerusalem has been ransacked, destroyed, burned to the ground. And uh, it's like Yahweh abandoned the city. He left it to be destroyed. And so the announcement here is that Yahweh is returning. He's returning to Zion. He's returning to Jerusalem. And so it's like, uh, it's reenacted like this little scene of the building of a road, a royal procession highway is being built to usher in Yahweh returning to the temple. And Yahweh is going to come, highway for our God. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And something's going to happen at Jerusalem, verse 5. Yahweh is going to return. And verse 5, what's going to happen? The glory of Yahweh will be revealed, and who's going to see it? All of humanity (laughs) together will see it. The mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Okay, so think of another scene from somewhere in Isaiah. Yahweh is going to do something in Jerusalem or Zion that will affect and attract and do something for all of mankind, all of humanity and the nation. There you go. Good. So chapter 2. Remember it was this vision right out of the right in the beginning of Jerusalem being made the most important significant mountain in the world and the Torah and Yahweh's teaching and all nations will gather to Jerusalem and Yahweh will teach the nations his Torah and there'll be an era of peace and justice and shalom and so on. So Isaiah 40 is picking up that idea again. That, again, it's picking up all the images of salvation from earlier in the book. 
uh, and it's saying the time for those coming is, uh, is near. So this is just an interesting thing. Look at verse 3. Uh, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way of the Lord. Now the New Testament, uh, all of the, in, in different ways, but every one of the four Gospels in the New Testament identifies the voice calling in the wilderness. With whom? John. With John. Now this is, this is interesting. So uh, let me do this here. So, for example, we have uh, <clears throat> so this is the Gospel of Mark beginning here, um, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, actually, you won't find those words in the book of Isaiah. You'll find them in the last chapter of Malachi. Um, and then he quotes from Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what Mark has done is he's combined two quotes, one from Malachi, one from Isaiah, but he thinks that this idea, actually the whole idea is really attributed to Isaiah, not Malachi. <laughs> Uh, so he attributes the quote to, to Isaiah. Mostly because what are the key words? These two first sentences come from Malachi 4. These come from Isaiah 40. What are the key words that link? Why would Martin put these two quotes together? Yeah, preparing. Preparing the way. So actually what Malachi comes way after Isaiah. And Malachi actually quoted him, is borrowing this idea from Isaiah 40 in essence. So Mark attributes it, the whole thing to Isaiah. Anyhow, so uh, John the Baptist appears, uh, and where is he baptizing and doing his work? In the wilderness. So this is interesting. Um, so the voice is crying uh, in the wilderness. Now look down at your English translations of Isaiah 40 here, and look at how the words are divided. Look at, or maybe our, some of our translations might be different. A voice of one calling, and then the words in the desert, what, what do those belong to? Is it where the voice is calling, or is it the content of the calling? Does that make sense? It's the, in other words, in the desert, prepare the road, is what I think most of our English translations have. So in other words, it's not that the voice is in the desert, it's that the road is going to be in the desert, and it's supposed to be. Do you see that there? So this is one of those funny things where um, there's no punctuation or periods or quotation marks in ancient Hebrew manuscripts. It's just the letters. And so there's a difference here of uh, is in the desert saying that's where the voice is or is in the desert saying that's where the road is. And so you can see how Mark is taking it. Um, and for other reasons, our English translations have gone a different route. Does that make sense? Anyway, it's just an interesting little detail about translation and so on. But uh, all of the New Testament Gospels link this announcement right here uh, with the heralding of Jesus. And so in Isaiah 40, it's preparing for Yahweh to come, for our God to come, 
and all of the glory of Yahweh will be revealed. In the Gospels, the Lord coming is Jesus. So it's one of these things where sometimes, you know, explicit claims where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, where he makes an explicit claim to be God, become human, and so on. And those are very important. But what's actually more important are instances like these, where it's just assumed that Jesus is Yahweh, like this. Jesus is put into the slot of Yahweh in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, and so this is another kind of way in the New Testament that Jesus' deity is just assumed and talked about and so on. Um, but these are usually the passages that don't quite get attention in that whole discussion. But you can see how the parallel works here. <clears throat> so, okay, thoughts or questions? Isaiah 40. Okay. Uh, let's go to, to verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but what stands forever? The word of our God. So it's very interesting. What's happening here is in verse 6, it's like a new voice is being summoned to cry out a new message. Um, and that voice comes back and says, what am I supposed to announce? What am I supposed to cry out? And here's uh, the content of it. That all of humanity rises and falls like grass. Right? So think about the rise and fall of Babylon. Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Israel. Kingdoms rise and fall, become and go like grass. But Yahweh's word, his purposes to judge human sin and then to bring salvation, that doesn't come and go. Yahweh's purposes stand forever. It seems to be the, the idea here. Um, that even beyond the history of Isaiah's life, the scope of what Isaiah saw was from, you know, like his day all the way up to the coming of Messiah. And that's a reliable, it's a reliable word. God's not going to go back on his promises, even though humans come and go and death. So it's contrasting God's sovereignty with basically human frailty and puniness. It's a very powerful, very powerful image here. And uh, fading flowers falling down. Ring any memories, anybody? Yeah, so the language here is right, very similar to chapter 28. So this is a, one of these ways where the language of these chapters in Isaiah will often pick up images from earlier in, in the book of Isaiah. Okay, let's, let's keep going. <clears throat> you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. Does anybody have a different translation? Mm -hmm. Curious. Some of you might. What? When? What would that be? <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. Mm-hmm. 
That's so good. So I've got the NIV right here. And again, this is uh, where Hebrew is ambiguous. Is this somebody being summoned to bring good news to Zion? Or the way the sentence is put together, it could be that Zion and Jerusalem are themselves to be these ones who announce good, good news. And so different translations are going to interpret and translate uh, it in different ways. Here's what's super interesting here. Herald of good news. Um, go down here. So, uh, good news uh, in Hebrew uh, is the word baser. And uh, this word got translated into uh, Greek as the word evangelion, uh, which is where we get our English word. Uh, don't you hate it when that happens? Here. We get our English word gospel. Uh, it's also where we get our English word evangelical. <laughs> and evangelical just means gospel-like. <laughs> um, a community of Jesus' followers who are centered on the gospel, in theory. So that's, uh, but anyhow, so the, the, actually the word gospel is rooted in, in the rest of the Bible comes from this passage right here. Remember the whole flower pot idea? There are certain themes in Isaiah they kind of take on a life of their own and then grow into the New Testament and so on. And so this is where the word gospel comes from in the Jewish Christian story. And so it's this announcement that, uh, well, let's read what the announcement of the gospel is. What is the gospel in Isaiah 40? <clears throat> Lift up your voice, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah... Here is your God. Well, King, King James is classic here. Behold your God. Look, sovereign Yahweh, he's coming with power. His arm rules for him. Look, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. Just, so what's, it, what's your image here? Arm, power. Does this sound like He's coming to, I don't know, plant a flower bed or something. So this is, kind of, this is very aggressive imagery, isn't it? He's coming to bring justice, coming to set things right. He's coming to rule. This is, royal, this is kingdom language here. He's coming to reign as a king and to rule. But then look at verse 11. It flips the imagery. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So, is Yahweh coming to bring justice or salvation? So, yes. So it's both. He's coming to set all things right, and, uh, but at the same time, he's coming to rescue uh, little lammies and carry them close close to his heart, and plant a flower bed, or whatever. So, it's this very, it's this contrast. So, uh, this is the first announcement here, the good news, and it's about uh, Yahweh coming to rule and to reign. It's about the kingdom of God, essentially. It's about God coming, returning to Zion, to setting up his kingdom. 
So again, right from the from the bat, I just kind of want to create a collection of themes that we're going to see coming up again, and we'll do it in blue here. So we're going to create a, a themes. What are all the themes of salvation um, in these chapters here? And so we have uh, Yahweh returning uh, to Zion. Uh, we have the kingdom. He's going to rule and set up a kingdom. He's going to, uh, I guess you could say, bring justice. Right? His arm comes with him. He's strong. Uh, but also, I don't know. What image do you want to use for the? What word do you want to use for carrying the little sheep, sheepies? Here, what's that? Shepherd. Yeah, we'll just go justice and, but more like the the shepherd is the, the metaphor given here, but it's, I guess actually the comfort, we had the comfort word, right? Carrying close to his heart. I like that. Comfort. That word is going to get repeated. Justice and comfort. Yeah. Okay. Um... Payback. So uh, you get what's coming to you. I think it's a judgment word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recompense. So that. So if you did good, you're happy about recompense. If you did bad, you're going to be sad about recompense. So it's a. Uh, it's very much a justice. A justice term. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the opening movement of Isaiah 40. It's this announcement of the gospel of Yahweh coming to Zion to set up his kingdom and to bring justice and uh, comfort. That's the gospel of Isaiah chapter 40. Now the rest of the chapter of Isaiah 40 is actually pretty familiar. Or I guess, I don't know, I won't assume it's familiar. It may be. Uh, It's all about God's power. Long litany of God's power. So let's just dive into it. It's really, really powerful. Verse 12. Who has measured... The waters in the hollow of his hand. Anybody? I've never done that, so I don't know. I'm assuming you haven't either. Uh, Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. You? Okay, so you get the point. These are obviously rhetorical questions, and the answer to this is nobody (laughs) except Yahweh. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? Who's weighed the mountains on the scales or the hills in the balance. Who has understood the spirit of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way or who taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Answer? So you can get this one right here. Nobody. Nobody. What's the idea here? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're like dust on scales. He weighs all of the islands as though they're like fine dust. Lebanon, which was the most impressive forest in the ancient world, it's not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, the nations are regarded as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless, less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, goldsmith overlays it with gold, fashion silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering, who maybe select wood, because 
maybe gold is too expensive. And so they'll select wood that doesn't rot. They'll look for a skilled craftsman and set up an idol so that it won't topple. You're supposed to, the goal is you kind of giggle here. So you have a god who is like this architect constructing the universe, and then you have a little piece of wood with gold leaf on it, and oh, you better kind of set it a certain way so it doesn't tip over. So it's contrast here. Who do you want to give your allegiance to? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Haven't, hasn't it been told to you from the beginning? Or haven't you understood since the earth was founded? He, Yahweh, he sits enthroned above uh, the circle of the earth. And its people are like little grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Because if you have a good view of the sky, you look from that end to that end, it's like a big, like a big tent cover, big blue tarp over you. <laughs> and it's like a canopy, like when you're in an actual tent. And so he spreads out the heavens like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And again, from earlier in the book, rulers of this world, kingdoms of this world, we have Assyria, the rise and fall. Babylon rose and fall. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. He blows on them and they wither. Think earlier in the chapter from Isaiah 40. What are people like? They're like grass that comes, that comes and goes. But Yahweh's purposes, uh, they don't come and go. They stay, despite. Uh, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Look up at the heavens. Who created all of these? Who brings out the starry host, one by one, calling them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So this is a very powerful passage here. But it kind of raises the question, like, what? This is cool. But why, why are we talking about this now? You know what I'm saying? So we were talking about Yahweh coming to Zion to set up a kingdom, to bring justice and comfort. And now it's just all this stuff about God's power and character and so on. Why? Why did we get into all this? The key is in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you complain, O Israel? And quote, here's, here's Israel's complaint. My way has been hidden from the Lord, and my cause has been disregarded by my God. Any different translations? Different wording? Yeah, the justice do me. Um, let's see. No, go away. My judgment is passed over. Uh-huh. Um, so <clears throat> the, word that, uh, the word that's used right here is the word, the Hebrew word for justice, um, which is, I'll teach it to you here. Uh, so the word justice uh, in Hebrew is the word mishpat, mishpat. And uh, this is about actions that a ruler does to make things right that have been done wrong or to make things equitable that have been inequitable or what have you. And so 
we have this little quotation here of Israel. That essentially, it's like, here we are trying to make our way in the world, and it's like we're hidden from God. It's like he's neglecting us. And something wrong has been done to Israel. God has disregarded the justice or the cause of Israel. Now think in terms of the context here. Um, what event is lying in our minds in the book of Isaiah that Israel, rightly or wrongly, would start to think, I think God has cut us off and totally forgot us, forgotten about us. So, <laughs> the Babylonian exile. So, hold on, I think God made these promises to Abraham, he made these promises to David, and how did they all come to fruition? Well, the Babylonians came and burned the city to the ground and burned the temple to the ground. Uh, and it seems like the Babylonian gods won, and Yahweh's completely forgotten about us. And now we've been languishing in exile for how many decades? And so that's the idea here. So uh, the prophet comes with this word of comfort and encouragement announcing, uh, but then you find out what are the people? This prophet is sent to the people, and what are the people saying? <laughs> the people think that Yahweh has forgotten about us, or maybe he wasn't so powerful after all. He's neglecting what is due us. So think about how everything we just read about God's character, how is that a response to this complaint right here? That's what's happening in the chapter. The people who think, feel like God's forgotten about them, what does the prophet remind them of? Right. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. But I can see where you could take it the other way, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of it is the, the speaker is quoting, quoting Israel. So it's not like we're just getting a quote from Joe, Israelite in Babylonian exile. We're getting the people's, their, their frame of mind from the perspective of the prophet. And he, in, uh, yeah, so I mean the first verses of 40 said they received for their sins. And that has been taken care of now in the exile. So I think essentially what happens is the Israelites were getting this view that they should realize that it was justice that they got what was coming to them. But even in or after exile, you begin to hear like, oh, here's it. And the Israelites, and they don't seem, it seems like they still don't get it. They don't actually get it. So this is somebody interpreting exile not as God's judgment, but as God's carelessness and his lack of care. Um, so that seems funny to us. It's like, how would you not learn your lesson eventually? You know? But So I, I, you're putting your finger on exactly what's supposed to strike you as funny. Is wait a minute, I thought Israel experienced that because of God's justice, but they seem to think differently. So, the prophet comes around again. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Yahweh, he is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't get tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. How is that a response to the complaint? <laughs> What's the complaint? Maybe he fell asleep at the wheel. Maybe Yahweh's tired and he just forgot about me. No, you don't seem to understand. Don't get it. That's not how, not how Yahweh is. He actually gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. 
Youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. These are famous, like, inspirational life verses, right? So, soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So this is uh, verse 31, the very beginning. Those who hope in the Lord. Does anyone have a different translation? Those who wait. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Those who wait upon. Now just stop right there. Wait. Think about waiting. Um, who, in Isaiah 1 through 39, said they were going to just sit and wait for, yeah, Isaiah. Remember Isaiah chapter 8. He said, no one's listening to me, so I'm going to seal up the scroll and wait. He said, Yah, what did Isaiah say right there in chapter 8? He said, Yahweh, right now in the season of judgment, is hiding his face from Israel. But now the judgment has passed, and the prophet is announcing those who have been waiting patiently for Yahweh's salvation will be rewarded. Yahweh will strengthen you and enable you to hold on to God's promises, even when everything around you seems to say that God has fallen asleep at the wheel. This is very, this is very pastoral kind of message here that the prophet brings. Some people in Israel are saying, God's forgotten us, whatever, he doesn't care. Um, but the prophet comes along and says, those who wait, like Isaiah, you're waiting patiently for the fulfillment of the gospel. Uh, God will give you strength to, to endure. This is such a cool passage. I, at least I think so. Um, so. So there you go. That's Isaiah. That's Isaiah 40. Um, is Yeah, yeah. they're not quoted uh, explicitly in the New Testament, but they're put on plaques and graduation cards and, you know, I don't know. So they're kind of, it's kind of funny. So this is one of those Bible verses that almost has become, it risks becoming trivialized by some of the ways that we use it, but it's, it's actually very powerful. The whole thing is about when it seems, when it seems to you that God's forgotten about you and it's totally like whatever failed you, uh, God will give strength to those who, despite all appearances, hang on to the surety of his promises. Because humans come and go, but God's promises stay for sure. So uh, they're just famous words in the Bible. Yeah. So, oh. To use them? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I'm more just thinking I've seen them on really corny plaques with a with a picture like of a bald eagle, and it's like, come on, they didn't have bald eagles in the ancient world, you know. So, actually, the word eagle in the Bible, or in our translations, the, there, there were no eagles in, in Israel. There's, they're turkey vultures. And for one reason or another, back in the early King James translation, uh, it got translated as eagle. But it's actually referring to a vulture. <laughs> Which is a little less inspiring, that they will soar on their wings like vultures. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the image... Uh, that he's referring referring to. His vultures are they're everywhere. Both of them. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a good question. Well, there was Exodus 19, because God describes the Exodus as rescue, carrying them out of Egypt on eagles' wings. Um, for the scene with Sam and Frodo. But uh, 
Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it's a good question. They will soar on wings like eagles, or like vultures. Yeah, like vultures. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that is the big question here. So, um, you remember how like in earlier chapters of Isaiah, the Christmas card passages were very much embedded in these historical details of Assyria and the northern. So this is somewhat similar here. So, um, here, we'll just get a map of the... Uh, this will do. Get bigger for us. All right. So, uh, so here's uh, Israel over here. Here's Jerusalem. Um, so Babylon's way over here, and this is just one big, huge desert right here. And so any travel that people made from this part to Babylon, they would go up. They would follow these rivers up here, go way up north, and uh, and come around. And so, after the Babylonian exile, um, there were seven, roughly 70 years that uh, they were there, and then um, a group of Jewish people returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. And so, that involved following the rivers, but traveling through a lot of desert, and so on. And so, the question as we're reading this chapter is, is are, the, are these promises of all of this, is this going to be fulfilled in the, the events of the people returning from Babylon to the land of Jerusalem. And what books of the Bible talk about that story of them coming back? So Ezra and Nehemiah. And you read those books, and they go back, they rebuild the city, they rebuild the temple, and how does it go for them? And they rebuild the city and they rebuild the temple. What do, what do the people do when they rebuild the temple? They're crying. They're weeping because they're like, this is nothing like the Temple Solomon built. <laughs> yeah, that's when they read from the Torah scroll. Um, when, they, when they rebuild the temple, the people are crying because it's not like the former. And then Ezra reads from the Torah, and then they weep because their sin is pointed out to them. And then they're happy because their sin is pointed out to them. So it's actually, that's a cool passage with a lot of other cool stuff going on there. You read Ezra and Nehemiah, and does any of this happen? Like, does the Messiah show up in Ezra and Nehemiah? Does the kingdom of God for all nations and so on show up? Like, so, no. Like, those promises still don't happen. And so what happens is all of these, this language of God returning to Zion, it seemed like it was for them, or like it was going to be fulfilled in those days, and it wasn't. And so the people... Uh, just kept hanging on to, they kept waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, and they were still doing that when John the Baptist came onto the scene, essentially. So, uh, Isaiah 40, these chapters set out these promises uh, that were still never fulfilled in anywhere in the storyline of the Old Testament. Does that make any sense? So I would say uh, that it's using language and idea of that period about returning to Zion, but that, that ended up not being the fulfillment of the promises. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. We'll talk about Simeon and Anna. Yeah. For, yeah. Totally. It's good. It's good. Um. So, uh, let's see. So Isaiah forty comes out of the gates. Sorry. Any other questions about Isaiah forty? Don't want to cut you off. Okay. So these are uh, we're tracing more of the themes here. Let's keep going in uh, Isaiah. 41. What I've given you on your handout, you know, about uh, is essentially, it's just writing down what we just did all together in reading through Isaiah chapter 40. So I'm just summarizing that. So what begins uh, in the next few chapters here, um, 41 through 45, it's like there's a trial scene. And so here's the big question. Israel has made this accusation. Yahweh has not been just. The Babylonian exile and them being there, this was unjust. Um, God's forgotten about us. And so these next chapters, chapters 41 through 45, they're like a trial scene. And Yahweh is going to bring forth evidence to show that he has not forgotten about them and that he has not been unjust. That he is going to stay uh, faithful to his promises. So let's, uh, let's dive in here, Isaiah 41. Be silent before me, you islands, and let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and let them speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. So that's like God summoning a little courtroom here. Who has stirred up this one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his servant? Servant. He, that is Yahweh, he hands over nations to this one from the east. He, and this one subdues kings before him. This one, he turns them to dust, excuse me, he turns them to dust with his sword and to windblown chaff with his bow. This one from the east, he pursues them, but he moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled on before. Who has done this? Who has carried it through? Who has called forth the generations from the beginning. I, Yahweh, with the first of them, and with the last, I am He. All right. So that's all very clear, isn't it? So, so you, read, you read this passage, and I don't know, what do you begin to, what do you think is happening here? Something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So God wants to gather together the people. Okay. You've made this accusation that I'm not being just and that I've forgotten and I'm not fulfilling my purposes in the world. So come, let's reason together. Let's gather together. And sort of like he brings out exhibit A, that he has not left his promises to be unfulfilled. And that's verses two, two through four. And I don't know. I'm just always curious. How how would you describe what's happening in these verses two through four? Anybody? What's that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So who is who is stirred up this one from the east? Who's that? Who's com- coming from the east? So Babylon came from the east, 
But uh, as we're going to see throughout these chapters, he's not talking about Babylon. He's actually talking about somebody who's going to come stomp on Babylon and destroy Babylon. So Persia, Persia. And in particular, the king of Persia who's going to do that. We're not given his name yet, but his name is, his name is Cyrus. He's going to be mentioned in chapter 45. So this is a big, this is a big piece here of uh, these chapters. And it may seem a little obscure to us, but it's a major, major theme. That uh, Cyrus, he's the king of Persia, and he's going to come totally take out uh, the nation of Babylon which is going to be good news for Israel, because it's going to be Cyrus, king of Persia, who lets the Israelites go back home out of their captivity. Okay, so this, this is an obscure little detail here, but uh, when we read, go to, put your thumb here, go back to chapter 13 of Isaiah with me. So you remember chapter 13... It's an oracle about what nation? So it's about Babylon. It's all about the downfall of Babylon. And uh, in verse 17, Isaiah foresaw what nation would come trounce on Babylon. And what does he say in verse 17? And he calls them the, the Medes, which was another name of... Uh, well... Yeah, it was another name for uh, the Persians, essentially. The Medes and the Persians, the same kingdom. So here's what's happening here. What, what's happening here in Isaiah 41 is the prophet is appealing back to Isaiah 13 and saying, evidence A, that God has not fallen asleep on the job. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied that Babylon was going to fall to the Persians. And here's somebody now hundred and some odd years later saying, and that's precisely what's happening. It's, that's what's happened. So this is, this is sort of like appealing, how do you know if a prophet's word is true? <laughs> if their prophecy uh, comes Peter true. chapter 2. Right? That's like the standards for prophecy in, in Israel. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, so he, said, he just begins here, therefore rid yourself of all malice and deceit and if it comes hypocrisy true, then and envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn, so, hmm? Yahweh says, all right, have I really forgotten about babies? You? Oh, babies uh, keep coming up. Your children, babies, right? So, but here, it, uh, it's good to be babies, exactly because you're craving uh, pure spiritual milk. Uh, and it's going to be a theme so that, that by it you may grow up for again salvation, and again, now that you have tasted so, that the Lord is good. Cyrus, as you is come to him, a, that Yahweh has not fallen asleep on the job. Stone, verse five, this that is, has been rejected good. by men, but chosen by God and precious the to islands him. Have seen you all of this, and they are, are like fear. living stones. The ends of the being earth built in spiritual house. They approach and, and come forward, priesthood. and they come what help kind of each other, and they say, one says like to his brother, "Hey, be strong, be strong." Second time, a craftsman being encourages the goldsmith. And the one who smooths out is acceptable with to the God hammer Jesus spurs on the one who For strikes scripture, the end. It says, he says, and lo and behold, of the welding, hmm, that's a nice joint that yeah, we welded. Isaiah chapter right 28. Good, good weld. He quotes the words that He nails just, down the idol so it won't tip over. Here. So in other words, Peter sees in Isaiah 28 so where do we promise see this God before? is going to build before, yeah, a new idols. Uh, foundation and a new house of people. So this is another big theme on this stone. Uh, connected to 
David and his reign and his David. kingdom. What's a good word for when and you it's very clear, make who something does look Peter totally see ridiculous? As that stone, who's the foundation of this new building. What's that? Elaboration. Yeah, he never actually says it here. He just calls him not like Jesus, but he calls Jesus in verse 4. Ridiculous. Embarrassing. You come to, to idol whom? embarrassment. Idol. To, yeah, the living style. Such a cool metaphor. So uh, he roasting. reads Isaiah 28. And he sees this new future, yeah. a new building, good. and so, that Jesus is the stone. The, and the building being built around Jesus is actually not stones at all; it's people. Uh, and and that's what he says right here. And you polemic. also are like living Polemic's stones. Polemic is just a fancy word built. that means you the, get into the, a verbal the community of people coming around Jesus as the Messiah. Is the fulfillment of this remnant. So I like to come out the other side of judgment. So this is a big theme in these chapters here. Is that who is it that is powerful enough to make these promises and actually fulfill prophetic promises and guide the course of Israel's history and the world, world history to fulfill the prophetic word? Idols? Can your idols do that? No, you can hardly keep your idols standing up. You have to nail it down so it doesn't tip over. Like your idol's not the one. Uh, Israel's idols are the ones. yeah, that I'd say that's, that Yahweh passage is itself a whole rabbit hole. It goes out different so there's this big uh, but at least to say, I think there is a piece of it that's relevant. Power, there. The yeah. image of Jesus as a rock upon and which a new house is built is a really common Old Testament here. theme. Yahweh's right here in Isaiah 28. And the New Testament. So Asherah. they went and worshipped Asherah, or they worshipped Baal, because they thought they those developed the image in a lot of different ways. So the prophet comes along and says. Uh, you know, worshiping those gods landed you in exile. One and two. Yeah, building your house on the rock that's guiding the course of history. Yeah, and yeah, fulfilling. Right. Do you see how all this works together? So all so this, this to say, the, this is what I'm trying like to do is read a very complex movie. passage of Isaiah <laughs> and like help uh, okay. us understand it. But two, to show us how these passages were extremely important to Jesus. But you, in the New Testament, oh Israel, because they saw in Isaiah's metaphors have. Mark the that, metaphors mark of Isaiah that, that just stumble and pour off the page actually become the framework. You are Jacob for a lot I've of very chosen. common ideas that you and I you think descendants about descendants of Abraham in the New Testament, but they're all My rooted friend. in Isaiah's metaphors passage and passages Abraham, that are really difficult. Friend of God. <laughs> understand sometimes. I took you but, uh, from farthest so ends of the you know, when we think from about the farthest the, corners, the like I called you, Jesus says, and I said, you are my servant. Uh, these are all rooted in very right ancient here. poetic images from, uh, from the right. prophecies of Isaiah. I've chosen That's you. what I'm trying to accomplish. By I haven't rejected right you. So I'm showing my cards. No. Even though you yeah. complain and you think I rejected you, right? in the complaint, you thought that I'd forgotten about you. I haven't. So don't fear, right. yeah, for exactly. I am with you. Does that ring any bells? I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, corner of the annual promise from Isaiah yes, that's right. 7. This God so is with us. these are all ways of uh, getting at yeah, this basic. Yeah, common language. That's right. For I am that the salvation you. is going to uh, don't be dismayed. come with the Messiah. And so God. different metaphors might be. I will strengthen sh- you and uh, I will help you. Shoot from a stump. I will uphold you stump with my righteous from a stump. Right. Yeah. Or foundation so, stone um, of uh, this is very much of a building. Uh, different ways of thinking about this new thing things. that God is going to do on the other so, side of judgment. Uh, you not, feel like you've been forgotten, comes, but the prophet comes to announce comfort, even though it feels like that. God is with you. Other thoughts carrying you, like a shepherd holding you close to his heart. 
This is a, this is a big theme in the Okay. Um, so what's happening? So you kind of get like there's a kaleidoscope thing happening here, or theme like sampling comes at you, of what and that's totally how these about. chapters are. So, so what they really read you a lot read like in these chapters, chapters you're going to well, it's going to be an image of judgment, an image of salvation, an image about the nations coming to bring judgment, and some sort of strange poetry. Oh, like so. Another one of my favorite ones. Go to chapter thirty-two with me. Theme of the servant. And who's the servant in the passage we just read? Super clear. Israel. Okay. Um, let's, uh, so, uh, in chapter 32, let's keep, let's keep going. he has this uh, diatribe against the rich, complacent All who rage against you likely the lives will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who leaders. oppose you will be like nothing. Uh, so in 32, verse 9. You will search for your enemies, women who are but you will find them. Rise up and wage war you against daughters you. Will be like nothing secure. at all. For I am Hear Yahweh, what I have God. To say. Take you by your little right more than a year. Says, Don't be afraid. You who feel I secure will, will tremble. The, word the great harvest comfort. Fail. Yes. The harvest so of coming alongside will not come. The tremble the people waiting on you, daughters who feel secure. He's speaking pastoral. your clothes and put on sackcloth. Don't be afraid. Around your waist. So sackcloth is like so I don't know if that feels comforting to you. But so you put it on worm. as a sign of the uh, little helpless worm. Oh, little morning. Israel, I Sadness myself will help you, declares Yahweh. Beat your, your breasts for the pleasant the fields and the fruitful lions. I will make you into a fresh, a land that's fresh, now overgrown with thorns. Say that ten times. Briars. Freshing. Mourn for all the houses of merriment. It's the SH and the SL. Good English word, merriment. For will this be city new of and sharp with lots of the fortress will be abandoned, mountains the noisy and city them. deserted, reduced the hills to shadow, the winnow them, land. the wind the will pick them up, donkeys. but a gale and a will blow them away. You will rejoice this in the Lord. Like unman's trash and another man's treasure. Glory so, uh, overthrown city He's really trying to encourage the life of donkeys. Weak and powerless. Because the whole land place for donkeys to go out and explore and kick around. But you will again be a force to be reckoned with. So, good news, bad news. What Karen, we just read. It's going to comfort. It's going to comfort. Bad news. And then what? Okay, so this is, it's like a next jolt here. This is another little colitis. Until the spirit, the poor, is poured out needy upon us search for water. from on high. But there isn't any. And then the desert. Their tongues right, are parched desolation after the judgment. But I, Yahweh, the desert I is going to become. By the God of Israel will not a fertile field. forsake them. And the fertile field I will make rivers is going to become like a forest on the barren heights. And justice, the and very thing that's missing within the valleys, I will turn the it's desert going to dwell in the, in the desert, and righteousness and is going to live in the, in the fertile field. So in the like fruit of righteousness God's will be wandering in the desert, and there's no water. And, and the effect of the righteousness will be quietness. Provide. And confidence forever. And my people will death. live in peaceful dwelling places and secure Bring homes. it back any memories here. In undisturbed right. places of So this rest. is the Exodus even though story. Hail, wilderness might flatten the forest and the city. So what he's saying is, there's a new... Will you also be look, sowing your seed uh, by every stream and letting your oxen and donkeys range free? So did you catch uh, this? I is, again, this is just typical of Isaiah. Yahweh, your what? Uh, God's going to bring yeah, judgment on Israel. It's going to bring the a wasteland. Is a word but then all of a sudden there's going to be a huge fertile forest free and land where you can dwell securely so in your cities. And what's, what's the key in verse 15? Not the Messiah coming, but what? From exile verse 15. And yeah, the of God's promises. Coming. Now remember, uh, put your thumb here. Uh, remember from chapter 11, when the Messiah comes, 
Like a Who is the Messiah going to be empowered by it? Yeah, this is one of the key images of the Messiah out in Isaiah chapter 11. And it's going to be like a new walk through the wilderness. The shoot is life. going to come up from the stump of Jesse. So anyway, from this root, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit um, of the Lord Hebrews, will rest on in Hebrews this chapter four that we king coming from Sundays the ago, line of David. Spirit, he makes wisdom, a parallel power, between and Christians so who are waiting. So this is, again, this is another faith one in Jesus, waiting for the return of Jesus. The coming of the era them of salvation is signified by the coming of the Messiah. Who have been redeemed, or here, and by the coming of God's spirit in the wilderness to bring new life and new creation, coming after the judgment. And so it's very much in line with these chapters of Isaiah. Here, what God is so this is kind of typical like of this whole, in the past. whole section here. So we've just touched down uh, Verse 19. I will put in the desert like the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olives. These are all like garden trees and so on. I will make pines in the wasteland and the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know and may consider and understand that whose hand has done all of this. Sweet. How are you guys doing? Yahweh's hand. All right, great. The Holy One of Israel um, okay. created it. So, uh, do you want to just hit it till 12? We've gone an hour already. You want to just keep powering? Okay, all right, let's go for it. If you need to go to that one later, go, go right ahead. Okay, so here's, uh, here's essentially what, what happens here. Um, when this section comes to Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments. We have some big... Why don't you bring in... We have this is our basic storyline. Israel uh, and the NIV nations has your sinned. idols, yeah. God's going to bring judgment for verse uh, and in this 22. say like Isaiah twenty eight, the judgment was going to take the form of what nation coming coming through. So it's going to be the nation of Assyria, and what Isaiah is referencing. Set forth in the this timeline. Is the ESV English this, Standard Version. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Then after this fruit, event the king of takes Jacob. place here, let them um, bring so, them. Actually, that's not clear, right. is it? So, and let them tell like us what is going to happen. Coming of Assyria, uh, is, is right going to be clear from 11, the passage that we're uh, again, after we're Assyria comes, to bring out your then we have all these images and of salvation. Let your and so you read these first chapters of Isaiah and you say, oh, I guess the Messiah was supposed to come after Assyria. Why don't you bring them to tell us what's going to happen? Why don't they tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them Because another big bad empire came along. Uh, and took out Assyria to come. and Judah, and, and that's tell the us nation. What the future the second holds, so that we can know here. that you really are. And that's the nation of do Babylon. something. <laughs> and so, uh, what? Do something. The section put right there. Do something, good or bad, so we can be dismayed and filled with fear. And it's a story about how. Uh, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the one who chooses was rescued you from this judgment that was brought uh, upon Assyria. So in your handout that I gave you for today, this is on the north. And he section of Isaiah chapter one, like this, uh, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers like they're mortar. And actually, it'll probably be most helpful to turn first to uh, Isaiah thirty-nine. Who told about this to get the big picture of what's going on from here. the beginning, so that we could know who was that again? So who predicted Cyrus was coming? So Isaiah did Yahweh's word through Isaiah. Who said all this beforehand? We'll just kind of so dive in. Now we could say he was right. 
At that time, none of your idols Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, they sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and of his recovery. That's Yahweh says, I looked, but there was nobody. No one so, among them to give counsel. The last time no you heard about Babylon in the book of Isaiah was chapters they, 13 and 14. They are all false. And if you were here last week, we read these chapters, and is Babylon them. depicted as like a good guy there that so you want to have, have over this kind for of dinner, here. you know, um, and like make friends. So, do you see all the themes emerging? Do you see how this horrible empire. So, I don't know if you ever tried to read these chapters, and it just feels like a jumble. Huge parts of the ancient Mary's wipe out people groups, jar of marbles or something. But here they come, want to make friends. But this is how all the themes appear. All of this. So Hezekiah received the envoys gladly, and he showed them everything that was in his storehouses, like all the silver, all the gold, all the spices, all the fine oil, his entire armory, like all his weapons and stuff, and everything found among his treasures. Good idea, bad idea. We're going to focus in on that. Yeah, bad idea. Really bad idea. In fact, there was nothing in his palace, in all his kingdom, that Hezekiah didn't show so Isaiah, you went to King Hezekiah, and he said, hmm, who are those guys? What did those Here men say? Here is my servant. Where did they come from? Whom oh, I uphold. from a distant land, Hezekiah. My they chosen one. From Babylon. In whom I delight. The prophet asked, well, I will what put did they see in your palace? Oh, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah. And he said. will bring fact, There's nothing among my treasures. I didn't show them. You can see okay, he's kind of like right a little here. dog or whatever. He's Who's like, this? Who are we talking about? Uh, look, I showed them everything. So servant. Isn't this great? Look at what a powerful king I am. And the last person who was called servant. Show them what well, great Israel power was. and riches I have. Israel was. Then Isaiah said so, to Hezekiah, But does this sound like Israel? Hear the word of Yahweh Almighty. So, the time what's will going come what's happening? when everything in your palace Let's and keep reading. all that your fathers have stored up to this day going to bring justice to the nations and God's spirit is on him. To Babylon. He Nothing will not cry will or shout and some of or raise his voice your own in the flesh streets. and blood who will be born to you he's are going, going to be taken be away chilled. and they will he's become going to have a, eunuchs. In other uh, words, they'll be emasculated and then made to become servants. High steady. Serving where? Right? So, in the palace. Sorry, we just saw everyone on the staff team here. As a guy replied, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Everybody's because he thought, like well, at least there's going to be shalom so and security in my life. Yes, steady. Steady, Eddie. All right. And you're like, Because uh, I never shout or cry out so, or raise my jerk, voice in the street. Right? Um, verse so 3. Is, a bruised reed story, right? he will not break, um, or a smoldering wick essentially, he will not snuff out. You saw, so okay, like the judgment of Assyria gentle. was going to come um, so uh, think of totally like take out. Israel and Judah, and like then the Messiah. Reed. You know, like long reed grass. You know how it's kind and of what happens and is not that. In the wind. The picture gets more but complex. The stem so is kind of I'm thick, but if the stem gets here. crushed and or bruised at all, it'll just. You know what I mean? Wobble over. You know, reed grass. Sorry, let's just. You know, we have Google these days, so we may as well. Yeah, well. So you remember the the mountain range imagery that we that I used last week? So. What do we get for reed grass here? Yeah, this is good as any. So, yeah, so you know the stuff, it's, and it's kind of, it's almost like a straw in terms of the, what the stem of the stuff is like. But the moment you break it, it doesn't get better again. On the nearest horizon or the nearest foothill. And so, this, it's like this guy when he walks 
through a field, um, and, they were and he walks by a reed of grass that's been bruised, it's about to break. If, when, he, when this guy walks by it, it doesn't knock over, because he's that gentle. And uh, they that's were going to attack the city of Jerusalem. So gentle. Or it's like uh, a smoldering wick, you know, when you blow out a candle, and, uh, Isaiah saw and this that little red ember that keeps smoking for a long time. That would mean God would so promises. He's so gentle, he can... So I don't know, walk by it or be around it, and it doesn't snuff out. Take out these two nations this right is here. image here. It's very gentle. Syria. And while they're at in it, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And justice for whom? According to verse 1. In the way, way like background here. For the nations. Sorry, this is a ridiculous mountain. <laughs> he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice. On the have, earth. Uh, and the in spirit, his law, remember the Hebrew word for law? Isaiah 32, in his Torah, in his teaching, Isaiah 11, even the islands, which is the idea of the distant Gentile nation, in his Torah and his teaching, the islands and so, distant nations will this put the idea their hope. But as the book developed, we saw that there actually is going to be uh, another. Okay, so what's hap- what on earth is happening here? In between so Assyria we have a servant and the Messiah and the new creation. who. I'll just that, uh, get the, the passage up here on the screen. Babylon. Um, and then, actually, we have a servant. Saw that there would be does, another nation. Does this sound that? like the nation, nation of Israel of... so far? Anything in the book? No. Yeah, it's no. in Isaiah here. Now, why did God call Abraham the and create the nation of Israel in the storyline of the Bible? And so blessings could go uh, out. And this is all Isaiah can see. So that kind of fits the bill. Uh, okay. okay, the servant point, here is called. And he to, dies. Be a part of God's but, justice going uh, out to all nations. Come after Persia. You pick up the book of Daniel. Uh, the whole point of the chapter we just read is that Israel right. is well, complaining and then who's that they come after Greece? That they think God's Rome. forgotten them. And then who's um, going to come after Rome? And so on and on. They're still the worshiping idols. Go. They, you know, the human so rebellious kingdoms rumbling on, rumbling on. And the promise of the Messiah keeps getting. Have we heard about anyone else in the book of Isaiah who's going to be endowed with God's spirit? Is seeing. Uh, through Hezekiah's so, yeah, sin totally, and foolishness. Totally. So that's the Assyria the coming to bring Messiah judgment actually from didn't chapter 11. Deal the with shoot who comes the, up from the sin and foolishness. The stump, at least of God's going to put right here, his spirit uh, on him. King Hezekiah. And so how about justice for the nation? Where did that uh, promise come up earlier in the book of Isaiah? And that's, uh, that's the nation of In Babylon. chapter 2. And so there you go. But in chapter 2, uh, who was the one dispensing justice? The exile of Babylon being foretold here. Yeah, it was not the Messiah, it was Yahweh Turn himself, the or whatever, to Isaiah chapter 40. So this servant is going to come, and he's going to uh, do what Yahweh said he would do, uh, but also he's somehow going to and take the role of the out of the gates here, uh, uh, we just he, hear this call, Israel famous line that called to handle Messiah, but uh, never could have Messiah. Anybody? Because Fans of, of Handel's uh, Messiah? Because around the holidays, yeah, great. Friedrich, um, let's let's keep reading this is, little section about uh, theology of all the messianic passages in the Bible. This is what God to, uh, Yahweh says. You know, I just learned about this. Created the he heaven, actually he right them out, the uh, one spread out the earth, and all that comes um, of it. Who gives breath? Oh wait, no, to excuse me. He wrote the, to those he wrote the music. Them. It was someone else who assembled I, Yahweh, uh, the lyrics and all the you in righteousness. And actually, I will it was take first hold of your not for religious hand. purposes at all. I he wrote keep it you uh, to be actually make played, you uh, 
to be a covenant for the people. All of it leads up to Isaiah 53. And a light for the Gentiles. But uh, about after his death, to open up much more eyes that are blind and to free the captives so what he meant to be like a passion to release story. from the dungeon of those who sit in the darkness. Sorry. So who's anyway, talking here? Random. Okay. So this, this is how I handle some science so again. God, comfort, and the question comfort is, my people. Five, this is what says God, God says. The question is, who's Speak he talking tenderly to? to Jerusalem and it seems and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her he sin the has been paid for earlier on. Look, that this she's received from the He's Lord's hand double nations for all I'll her sins. put my sins. spirit on him. Okay, let's and just stop for a second here. Let's ask why God is now addressing the servant, so, commissioning the servant, talking to him. And whatever has happened, the money, uh, the big money, uh, is in. Let's kind of tease sense. it out here. Does it seem like uh, something so bad is There's some passages that are so dense. Yeah, something bad is happening. What I call the HDT. But is that bad thing happening? Is it? It's not the future. So this it's servant the is going to so when Isaiah have was two roles, out, and he's according to verse 6. These people in this horizon, and he's saying, God is going, is, to, God's going to bring judgment for Israel's, for our sin and our abandonment. Uh, install him in, to do two things, and that's to be a but covenant the speaking in chapter 40 comes along, for the people. And does it, does it sound the same? And a what? Is it saying... Sin is going to be painful. Yeah, light and hard service uh, to, is going to the nations or Gentiles. Gentiles, okay. Look, it's like it's standing on the so, other side of Gentiles. As far as passages coming before this, saying, it's um, over now. It's over. About the judgment has someone come bringing light to those who sit in darkness. Uh, Anybody. Our right. sins, have been, so, sins have been dealt with. This was the description of what the Messiah was going to bring uh, in Isaiah So this is the big nine. jump that happens right here uh, at Isaiah. What about this image here? 40. A covenant and, for the uh, people. Like so the nations or the Gentiles draw a line here. are what the servant is going to do for them. Say, a covenant for the people. Isaiah 40. If, so not uh, the people. Isaiah saw judgment on the So who do you think is being talked about here? The people. So what, what was going to follow judgment? So somehow, this so, servant is um, going to come and embody stuff. Stuff right here. the fulfillment of God's uh, covenant salvation. with Israel. He will and somehow so, be uh, the voice in what he is and does. In Isaiah he will 40 embody that covenant in Yahweh before the judgment. So to Israel, the to fulfill to the covenant, God's covenant, the judgment is now and he'll passed. become a light and to that, the nations. Uh, that's the role of, of this servant. Salvation. Does that make sense? And it does not seem so like Israel is at all. It's almost like the voice, whoever's talking role. here, has jumped. So who is the servant? Exile is now past. So the exile was future. So remember, as they said, Babylon's going to come, and you're going to be taken out keep by reading. Babylon. Yeah, keep reading. Yeah, and keep reading. Just in the. So you're going to find out. Not even, um, I don't even have to turn it later on. We'll, we'll turn Isaiah our attention 40. to one passage. It's all, that Isaiah 39 40 is on the same page. Israel. But then but here, I think of uh, that all of a sudden, the essentially what uh, the prophet is now we're announcing is that era Israel was called to be the bearer of God's light to the nations. Remember Exodus 19? God said, I'll make Does that a, make sense? I'm not so make there's, kingdom there's a seismic shift here between Isaiah a ki- a 1 through 39 and Isaiah 40 following. And, and, and the vantage point of one speaking to us is shifting. But Israel never did that. It's like exile is over now. Okay, so there's a few things going on here. And they're broken. If you uh, put so your thumb here between Isaiah 39 and 40, go back to the first sentence of the book of Isaiah. This is also really interesting. So the question is, is Israel was called to be the servant, 
but they were in, uh, incapable. So the first sentence and of so Isaiah tells us the basic time frame of when Israel Isaiah was around and when he was talking and going to saying this role right all of this stuff. And so we're told the vision of I Judah and Jerusalem <laughs> that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of four kings. What are the four kings? Uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, words, the kings really of Judah. Ambiguous here. So now, there were stories about Isaiah working with the chapter right two of these kings. And then Yahweh says, look, seven, here is my Emmanuel servant. Passage. And here's what I called the servant to and do. And treachery. And here, right. and, um, uh, and then we have a story is, here about Hezekiah. Uh, I don't remember what I was going to write. In that so the implication <laughs> also uh, here's, is that uh, what Isaiah the servant is about. He's going to fulfill um, the covenant with Israel. Was working and living the during the reigns of these kings. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Isaiah 39 comes like along and says that Babylon's going and to come and take out Hezekiah. And the implication is that but he's Israel is going to stick around worshiping their idols. And so 39 almost leads you with a hanging question then. So well, Isaiah's ministry ended at the period of Hezekiah. Hezekiah seems to be, yeah. or his, his death and doom is implicated by chapter 39. And so it just raises a question uh, for chapter 40. Who on earth is talking to me right now? That's essentially, who is, who's talking to me in chapter 40? Yeah. Because I thought Isaiah was going to pass after Hezekiah yeah. passed off the scene. Too. And the speaking voice is now, literally, has jumped forward. So obviously, cat out of the bag. Jesus. So this, Jesus, in chapter 39, yeah, this is what Isaiah so, is talking about. And actually, Babylon uh, came knocking on Jerusalem's door. Just a number Matthew of times, actually is the one who really came with a big hammer but, and uh, the cat burned the, the city to the ground uh, and the temple in 586. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And, and the leaders uh, of Israel so this is what, get super uh, ticked off. This is what I, the Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And, and it wasn't until super almost 50 years, Jesus, aware 50, of all this, that he was making that, all the leaders angry. That, he withdrew uh, from there. The people started And many back. people followed them, um, and he healed exactly. all of them, and so ordering them happened, not to make him sort of like the speaking This voice. was to fulfill what was spoken <laughs> by the prophet Isaiah, forward. and then boom. Like it's many, many Isaiah, decades. It's the passage we just read, Isaiah uh, 42. the future. So, and so this is in a big picture, huge puzzle throughout. The gospel of see all the of the history of the book of Isaiah uh, fulfilled Who's in the mission and the me? message of Jesus. When I turn the page, what it means for Isaiah Jesus to be a, to embody the covenant. Which um, one? And Which so this is um, this is all I'm going to say about. And actually, the, this is a bigger question on how the covenents relate to each other: Abraham, Sinai, and David. So who's are they all just now? different who's facets of one promise that got like more elaborated, or are they really again? Put your thumb. I don't know what page you're on now, but. Go to chapter 8 with me. We talked about uh, Isaiah 8. I'm not sure 8. which one Isaiah has in mind. I think it's he's seeing God's covenant but purposes uh, as But we're going to recall it again here. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that I go to, I think Jesus for sure had this in mind, in the Last Supper, where he said, this cup is the covenant, uh, the blood of the covenant, or the so new Isaiah covenant, uh, 8, uh, uh, verse the 11. covenant in my blood. He sees what he's about to do. The Lord spoke to me, all as Isaiah speaking, spoke to me with a strong hand upon me, warning me not to um, follow the way of this people. He said, so, don't call don't a conspiracy. Paul, every, all these people call a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Paul, don't dread him. It all links to Abraham. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to Abraham. regard as holy. But Jesus he is the one the Torah, you fear. He, takes the he is the one you shall dread. The Torah into himself on the and cross. to you, Isaiah, he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, north and yeah. south, 
He's going to be so it's a, a... It's a very dense little phrase, but whatever this means, a covenant... But in this case, not a good stone. ...for uh, a stone people. that's going... It's the, this servant over it will actually that's going do to and fulfill the covenant. So the people of Jerusalem is going to become a trap and a snare. Uh, They're going to stumble, anyway, fall, be yeah. broken, snared, captured. Okay. So essentially, Isaiah's uh, here. He's been proclaiming his message. No one's Ahaz. And say that again. Him. Everyone's rejecting him. And so Isaiah's being encouraged here. Mm-hmm. Don't follow the way of these people. They've, they're going their own way. They're headed towards destruction. So in God says to Isaiah, you just put your focus on me and regard me as holy and just follow my word. Essentially, what's happening here. Isaiah's like the religious minority, persecuted religious minority. And yeah. so, verses 16 and 17, yeah. they're super key yeah. here. Yeah, totally. Uh, like, uh, so, Isaiah these chapters were read and interpreted and says, in Bind Judaism up the testimony in a really, in a real broad variety of ways, actually. Among, so, there was no single Jewish among interpretation. Among my disciples. Of these chapters, so this so is Isaiah a one, uh, taking his prophecy, Israel his is testimony, servants teaching, very clearly in chapter forty, rolling it all up into a scroll, even despite the fact that and he's sealing it. Fit Israel as a collection. And what's he going to do? Seal it up, and then what's he say? Verse seventeen, even Isaiah fifty-three, um, and the suffering of the and servant wait. Uh, is understood to refer. I'm going to wait for the Lord, and who, for this moment he's hiding his face in the, from the house of Jacob. I'm going to put my trust in him. So there are a handful of passages so Isaiah saw that I think make this whole thing playing yeah, out here. I think that's a weak interpretation. And, but people there's a fluidity here. And that's why I'm just playing this out. They, you know, is they, that it does uh, seem like the, the servant was called to Israel. And so the servant must have some relationship the Lord with Israel. Let him go their way. And right here, and the Isaiah servant himself will fulfill the covenant them over purposes of God for choosing to Israel his disciple, he says. So whatever, if it's an individual, disciple? even it if it is an individual, anywhere. it's somebody who is uh, fulfilling. Presumably he got a circle around him the whole nation. Uh, who listened to his teaching and listened to his prophecy. So the so individual versus world to them. And then he waits. Kind of fluid. And he waits. Because now is the period where God is hiding his face mm-hmm. from Israel because of their sin. And so they're going to go to judgment. But if he's waiting, what's he waiting for? As, as it doesn't say, as but just think about it yeah. here. That's correct. He's, he's yeah. waiting for something. And actually, so Isaiah 53 became On the other side of judgment, history of Judaism. He knew that God was um, going to be faithful to Abraham because that and David, became a way he would, for many Jews he would to actually make the sense of their ongoing he suffering. He would bring salvation on the other side of judgment. So, I, you know, so think of Isaiah 53 for? from a Holocaust. Seal up the scroll, hand it off to his disciples. It's read from the, the ongoing suffering for the judgment of past. Israel as they await the fulfillment and of so God's promise. so whoever's speaking to us in Isaiah 40, one of the big themes in these chapters in 40 and following is going to be, mm. we don't have to wait anymore. Um, um, well, we'll see when we get there. The judgment is passed. But, uh, but I think the authors of, of Isaiah shaped the book of to exclude Isaiah uh, our, uh, our the fear. possibility that Israel is... So there's essentially... So you can see, I'm uh, showing my hand here. And not just because I think Jesus is, but uh, I think talking here. if you so read these chapters closely, we're going to see here the servant is called Israel in chapter 49, but not in a way that shows uh, the okay, servant, this individual servant, yeah. okay. so is has a little, has taking a the place of Israel. It's taking the role of Israel upon himself. So, um, and really, that's kind um, of one, what, almost what's said right here in verse 6. Of the book of this Isaiah person, this servant, that, uh, will fulfill all of the rest of the book. All of the still Isaiah speaking. That God was 
but it, looking out if the if he's, uh, in, uh, in the first place. In vision, and also, remember verse, uh, verse, that he has verse 1, like I will put my spirit on him, which in the book of Isaiah so is a clear as if reference he's standing here. back to the king of Isaiah no. 11. That Yahweh's spirit will come on him but to bring justice to the nation. I mean, that is a description of the king from Isaiah 11. So I think there's clues even within the book that show that this servant is meant opened up the scroll, call us, call our members back to the king. But uh, it's tricky. But uh, okay, these are physically. I think of these chapters. I always think of when I'm reading them, like I'm in a fog. I'm in this haze. This prophetic cloud. But he's having this experience. You're just reading the poetry, and it's kind of set in this time period, kind of. But they also kind of that's been a common. A common view. This time period. Um, I don't know another major view has been taking the cue of these verses right here. Like Isaiah was talking about, in this year, and in that Isaiah has many years, Assyria will come to have cycles. Chapters. They kind so of I'm going to call this float <laughs> outside of time. Room. And they have much shorter beards. They just have stubble. Interesting. Because they're young. Um, any other thoughts? And he passes the scroll off to yeah. them. And his disciples. Uh, treasure the prophecies of Isaiah and they wait and they wait and they wait. And then uh, in the time after Babylon comes, yeah, right. the disciples yeah. have become mature so now they have beards. Yes. And then they are the ones who reopen the prophecies of Isaiah mm-hmm. but then also uh, add new material to the book that uh, fleshes out these promises of salvation mm-hmm. even even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are essentially the kind of yes. the two views on the author, yeah, authorship right. of Isaiah. Either he time warped, or yeah. he passed the scroll mm-hmm. off to his disciples. Yeah, the themes in this chapter are not like brand new. They're picking up the the motifs and ideas have. connected to And then his disciples are also prophets that anonymously... Uh, and they point forward to okay. Now let's go to Luke chapter two, on, and, uh, and uh, to show how all of this will. Worked. Let's go there together. Luke chapter two. This will this will uh, come together. Lots of questions <laughs> about this. This has been a controversial issue throughout in some circles, but uh, I thought I would touch on. Yes. So uh, this is more of the musical in Luke. Uh, great uh, verse, question. Verse 25. Put your thumbs here or whatever. Uh, go to the book of Jeremiah. Now, there was uh, a man in Jerusalem so, named uh, Simeon. Jeremiah. He, he was righteous and devout. During this time period, right here. Consolation um, of Israel, right at or and after the, the destruction of the city there? of Jerusalem. Consolation of Israel. And uh, essentially, here's what he does. It's all consolation. Uh, Jeremiah, and he has a, a little um, friend. It's, uh, it's, the Greek um, word that's the equivalent Baruch. of the Hebrew word comfort. And Baruch is a scribe. He's a professional words, reader and writer for the comforting of Isaiah 40. And so Baruch and, and Jeremiah get together and they put like, together a scroll yeah, representing all of Isaiah's prophecies. And Isaiah is called the weeping prophet because he just had a lot of bad news. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die Sorry. before he had seen the Lord. You know, it's so funny. Inside. I remember when I was a student, and, and so I moved by the Spirit, really he went into the like temple courts. Never do that. And when his parents were attentive to my words, Jesus, if you start to him what custom of the law required. Okay. So what happens is they deliver the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies to the king, 
Sovereign uh, Lord. Hoekim, and, and what does Jehoiakim do with it? You can now he cuts it up and he throws it into the fire. Peace. That's what he For my eyes have seen your salvation. We haven't talked about this. Chapter 36 of the word salvation. So in Hebrew. Go to verse 8 of chapter 36. Uh, is the word... Excuse me, verse 4. Yes, Jeremiah you are. 36, verse 4. Uh, which is also Jesus' name. So, there's very... And it's also Isaiah's name. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him. So and Jesus and Baruch is the one who wrote them in the scroll. Which Jeremiah told Baruch, listen, I'm restricted, I can't go into the Lord's temple, so you go to the house um, yeah, of the Lord and, and Joshua, on a day of fasting and read uh, to the people from the words of the scroll, from the scroll, the words of the Lord, that my eyes have seen your Yeshua, read uh, them to all the people of Jared in the sight of all people, perhaps they will bring their petition before the revelation to the Gentiles, their wicked ways. Isaiah 42, and, right? Uh, the anger, for the anger and, and wrath pronounced against the people by the Lord. And for glory to your people. Uh, everything the prophet told him so, to do, and he went to the temple words, and read. He gets the king's attention. This guy reading Jeremiah's prophecies in the temple, he is also and the king wants to hear it, and he uh, burns God's burns up the scroll to Israel. So go down to verse uh, 27, then, to the people of Israel. That's essentially what he's saying. So after the, the king burned the scroll, mother marveled at containing the word about that Baruch had written this in Jeremiah's dictation. The word of the Lord mother. came to Jeremiah. This Take another child scroll. Is also write in it all the words that were on the first scroll and falling that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Israel. And tell Jehoiakim, king of uh, Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, Why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would come and destroy this land and cut off men and animals? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Judah. He will have no one sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. And bring and on those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounce against them, own soul because they have not listened to. So Jeremiah took another scroll. How would you feel? If that he gave it to Baruch, the son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote in it all the words of the prophetess, and Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in fire. He was super old. And many similar words were seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty. So that all, we're all tracking here. But then look at that last sentence: fasting. What does that mean? And coming up to them. So we were just like Jeremiah's dictating, Baruch's writing. He gave thanks to God, and then so who's responsible for the making of the book? Not Jeremiah. Of Jerusalem. So here's another woman. And then this is last sentence. And many similar words were added to them. She was looking similar words from whom? By Jerusalem. But Baruch's and words, and other also words, more of Jeremiah's words that were spoken. So, in, other in many ways, I, this is a beautiful. So it's just totally scene ambiguous. In Luke chapter two, but um, what it opens up for us oh, is you know, that Baruch, famous Rembrandt, and someone else had an active role in shaping the book of Jeremiah, even after so, so Jeremiah had passed it off. Apparently, not that famous. There was further shaping <laughs> to the book of Jeremiah after it left him. Um, so this is another good example where this is someone like a disciple of Jeremiah's, a group described. And Jeremiah passes yeah, off his prophecies. Here we go. Outstanding. And then someone else after Jeremiah plays an active role so, in shaping um, and adding in many ways. Words to, I, uh, uh, and the thing about Rembrandt, so this I don't is know like the an analogy. Another, so another the signature example. of all his works is uh, how he Ezekiel contrast uh, talks about dark, the elders of Israel. 
coming to his house and making inquiries of him. And it seems like uh, like he passed on. (laughs) The painter of light, too, right? So this is a foreign idea. So uh, he brought things in the foreground. Isaiah says he passed on the prophecies to his disciples. So yeah, this is the the question is, is the voice speaking to And in many ways, uh, I think this is a great visual depiction of the book of Isaiah's relationship. And and it never is identified explicitly as so, because you have... This fully formed it's almost connection of what of the role that needed to be fulfilled, but uh, the time what Israel was called to do, the covenants, the blessing to the nations, to obey so, the Torah. Oh, you also want to see something really cool for the nation, um, and Israel was never able; they weren't capable of fulfilling this role. Uh, and so, Isaiah paints this huge help wanted sign of the role that's needed, <laughs> sort of like needed Messiah. <laughs> So there, uh, and bring there was discovered in uh, Jerusalem. The um, they're always doing archaeological within. digs and so on in yeah. Jerusalem. And just but and there uh, was Isaiah, discovered about ten years ago uh, a seal. Did um, so so I show this to you guys? Okay. Just right. like, so uh, so a seal was like something you wear on a ring or around a necklace, and when you seal so up a scroll, it's a great scene. You would. Make the attachment between the two pieces. You would pour wax over it, and then use a seal that you had written like your signature in, and then you would impress that onto the wax. And so the idea is sort of like it's like putting your signature on something, and saying, um, "Hey, this is my property." Or how this is how my would you guys would you guys scroll. feel cheated? You can't open it unless you have permission, permission, and so on. And so there uh, was discovered no uh, a seal. Um, it's a little I'm tiny just, thing. I'm thinking about uh, for next week. And, uh, and you can uh, see it says as a right rule, on it, it says, belonging to Baruch, never son of Neriah. I'm following it in my head. I know it's on the handout. And I, uh, but I think so it's more the, fun no, to read the Bible this, together this, than read the handout. This was a little yeah. ring or necklace. So the handout basically the guy wrote the book of Jeremiah or uh, was responsible in shaping it. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to pick up the next key sermon passage, which is chapter 49, directly connected to And there we're going to find and here's what's really cool. I'll try and find another picture servant. of it um, uh, that, that highlights And then it. we're going to find out that the servant has it's, a bunch of it's servants. A, it's a fossilized, um, and they will be the fossilized ones piece of uh, wax who, or clay. Repentant been impressed and stay connected to the servant will be the ones yeah. who will So this was on this was on something. It was on a scroll. Um, it was on a box that belonged to Final Justice and, and, and fell off somewhere. So that's a finale. Got buried for. To let the cat out of the bag. 2,700 years. <laughs> um, yeah, really. But really I feel like that's um, good for the day. And one, you want to uh, be outside. And, uh, picture. Okay, sorry. I kind of do too. You know, I have to go do email in my office. No. So, all right, yeah. let's call it good. Thanks for being here. Have a good afternoon. All right. So here's a, Cheers. a full picture mm-hmm. of it. Another picture of it here. Um, do you see these lines right here? Those are thumbprint lines. That's fingerprint lines. So it's this tiny little thing. But from when Baruch had squished it into the clay and made the impression, you know, his thumb was bigger than the seal and pushed pushed over. And so those are fingerprint lines right there of his thumbprint that covered over it. Um, so just straight up fingerprints of a biblical author. What do you want? You know? <laughs> Isn't that great? Anyway, I just think that's so. It's one of the coolest things in the world. So anyway, so belonging to uh, Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe. So we have him to thank for uh, 
And, and whatever, whoever, whatever these similar words are in Jeremiah, we have him to thank for the shape of the book of Jeremiah as we have it, which is the longest book in the entire Bible in terms of the amount of words. So thank you, Brooke. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, so uh, in terms of the two views, uh, I, I personally think this view that uh, we're listening to the voice of the disciples who mentioned in Isaiah chapter 8, that Isaiah passed off his prophecies to. I think this view makes the most sense of what's happening in uh, these chapters of Isaiah. And as we read them, I'll kind of play out why I think that view makes, uh, makes sense. But these have been the two, the two standard views. What's been kind of unhelpful is that uh, in some circles, especially in the last hundred years or so, there have been some people who say, uh, the book of Isaiah is only truly inspired. You only believe in the inspiration of Scripture if you hold this view right here. Um, in other words, that the whole book was authored from the pen of Isaiah, you know. Um, and I, I don't see the logic of that. <laughs> so uh, the, the Bible was written by many different kinds of people. And uh, lots of the biblical books, most of them are uh, anonymous, were authored by someone we don't know. Um, and that doesn't uh, prevent Paul in any way from saying it's scripture that is inspired. Um, so obviously Isaiah was inspired as he said his poetry, but, but Paul attaches inspiration specifically to the scrolls of the scripture, um, which doesn't necessitate a specific person is the one who wrote them down. Something like that. So anyhow, any other thoughts or questions about the authorship issue? Um, I know um, there's a Yes, yes. That's right, yeah. Is that a different author ascribed to Ruth, or is that the same? Yeah, so, uh, so I mentioned this last week. Um, after the Hebrew Bible kind of took shape and came to its closure, so there's lots of weird stuff in the Bible, lots of interesting people in the Bible, and so like Baruch's one of them. And so kind of the, one of the things that took place in Jewish culture, as the Bible became widely read and so on, was we want to find answers to all these questions and, wow, wouldn't it be cool if someone found a secret letter from Baruch and so on. And so there was a lot of material that was produced post-Bible that claimed to be connected to people and places from biblical time period. And so uh, there's, it's called the letter of Baruch because uh, Jeremiah in the book, it mentions a letter that Baruch wrote and then doesn't contain much of the letter at all. And so, lo and behold, 300 years later, someone wrote the letter, you know? Oh. So it's, it's kind of like conspiracy theory a little bit. So, so these writings, uh, they're called uh, apocryphal writings. They came uh, to be, you know, collected and read and even treasured in Jewish and Christian communities. And this became a uh, Reformation, Catholic Church Reformation debate. Because in some of those writings were doctrines or theological ideas that became uh, important in certain Roman Catholic traditions, like uh, being able to offer money to the church so that your dead relatives could have their sins forgiven. And so that idea is talked about in a few places in some of these writings. Luther came along and Calvin and were like, no, that's not actually in the Bible. That's in these other books. And the Catholic uh, Church in 1546 made a declaration that actually these books are in the Bible after all. 
So that's why those extra books are in the Catholic Bible, is because they were declared to be in the Bible by the Pope in 1546. But they were never actually part of the Hebrew Bible. That's my two-minute version of that whole very complex <laughs> historical debate. So, um, yeah, so we, we don't actually have anything from Baruch except the book of Jeremiah. Kind of. I, for me, the clincher is that time and again we'll see the perspective of the speaker here is speaking of Babylon and judgment as past, long past. Um, there are references even to uh, the temple having been destroyed. In chapter 63, there's a reference to the temple being destroyed. And that wasn't destroyed until like a hundred years after Isaiah had already died. And so, for me, the clincher because, uh, you know, depending on what kind of day you're having, you might write in one style or another, or, you know, so I don't think that's a, that's a, that's a home run argument. For me, it's the time, the time perspective. Yeah, go ahead. How would you, um, this is a question for the great, but um, Jeremiah begins, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hezekiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if we didn't, I mean, if we didn't have that story in Jeremiah 36, then you would just assume the whole book, the whole book comes from Jeremiah. But we do have chapter 36, <laughs> which shows that whatever that first line in Jeremiah means, to say of a book, these are the words of Jeremiah, doesn't mean that someone else couldn't have authored the book and have even supplemented the book in some way. So we might have an idea of authorship that we're imposing on these ancient texts. Because um, we think of, of writing a book as you sit down with your computer and you go like this, and it's all from me, and I do it over a period of however long you do it. And so uh, just the making and the authorship and conceptions of authorship was, was, was different, apparently. And so also I think the presence of Isaiah to say that Isaiah lived and worked during the time of up to Hezekiah and then we have in the book Hezekiah passing from the scene and the story about Isaiah handing over his prophecies to his disciples. And you can start to put together, okay, maybe there's something more complex going, going on here. Um, so all that being said, what these disciples are doing, they're not like making up new prophecies or something. Their whole point is to say Isaiah's prophecies of judgment came true. They came true. And so what they're going to play out then is, therefore, his promises of salvation are going to come true. In fact, they're, about, they're going to happen sometime in the future. And so almost all of the images of salvation here in these chapters here, they're just borrowing Isaiah's language and ideas from the earlier parts of the book. So in a way, I'd say the whole book is about Isaiah's words. About Isaiah's words. And these chapters actually contain Isaiah's words these chapters contain, I think, the words of his disciples uh, unpacking the meaning and significance of Isaiah's words. Does that, make, does that make sense? So the whole book is about Isaiah and his words. Um, there you go. Other thoughts, questions?
Ah, let's wait till we get to the servant poem in Isaiah 53 to get there. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Well, let's uh, let's do this then to 11:50. Do you want to do something similar to last week, where I think this is kind of a natural stopping point before we dive into chapter 40 and following? Do you, can we take a break and then maybe come back at 12:45? Uh, then they'll give us 50 or so minutes for. For a lunch break, and then we'll jump into uh, we're going to look at chapters 40 to 48 specifically this afternoon. So, all right, cool. Break, have a good lunch. <coughs>